My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. A politician was once heard speaking to a reporter and saying that he was willing to do anything to help rebuild his war-torn country in the aftermath of some terrible destruction. It was an interesting comment, but not long afterwards, that same man allowed his marriage to fall apart. The physical devastation of a country can be repaired within a few years. But once a marriage relationship is destroyed, it can rarely be renovated. Preventive maintenance takes ongoing work, work that must be done sooner or later. This meditation is about unity of life which means living our Christian vocation in all situations. Living out what we believe in. Being the same on the outside as we are on the inside. And thus avoiding the danger of a double life. Of being two different people. A person that other people see outside our home and a person that people of our family see inside the home. We don't profess a whole series of beliefs and virtues, but then take a vacation from living them in certain moments or occasions. St. Paul said to Timothy, but as someone dedicated to God, you must avoid all that. You must aim to be upright and religious filled with faith and love, perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and win the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made your noble profession of faith before many witnesses. I heard of a, a weekend for travel agents that was organized in a certain country. They were being flown to a new island where there was a new resort to try out the resort so that they could write about it or promote it later on in their work. And shortly after takeoff, somebody took the microphone and started saying how we're going to have a wonderful weekend and it's going to be fantastic and let's all have a great time. And it was painting a picture that sounded a little bit dangerous and a bit suggestive. And when he finished, another travel agent went to take the microphone and added a few more words and said, well, yes, let's all have a great time. Let's do everything that we're meant to be doing. But let's also remember that less than an hour ago, we left our wives and our children back at the airport. Let's make sure that we don't do anything this weekend that, that might disappoint them. With those few words, he changed the whole tone of the weekend and of the previous speaker. 
This is living our unity of life in all situations. Now before God, says St. Paul to Timothy, the source of all life and before Jesus Christ, who witnessed to his noble profession of faith before Pontius Pilate. I charge you to do all that you have been told, with no faults or failures, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, what the due time will be revealed by God, the blessed and only ruler of all, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, whose home is in inaccessible light, whom no human being has seen or is able to see, to him be honour and everlasting power. Amen. And so we try to take our faith and put it into practice, to live it. It's not just a question of knowing virtue, but of putting the virtue into practice. Our Lord says in St. Mark, how rightly I say I prophesied about you hypocrites in the passage of scripture. This people honours me only with lip service, while their hearts are far from me. One thing that our Lord had no time for was a lack of unity of life. And that's why he lambasted the Pharisees with every strong word he could muster. He saw through their duplicity. They professed one thing on the outside, but they were completely different on the inside. There's a potential Pharisee in each one of us. The Sunday Mass going Catholic who doesn't put their faith into practice in concrete ways in the rest of the week. It's a disappointment to the church. It doesn't present a life of faith to children, to families, to the environment, to neighbours, to friends, in our apostolate. And so we're all capable of speaking about one thing but doing something different. And of course, in the home and the family, the first people to notice something like that are children. They see through it immediately. And so the goal is to try to make sure that our heart is where it should be. Our heart in our faith, our heart in our marriage, our heart in our family, our heart in our work, or in the particular sport that we're engaged in. The reverence of me is worthless, said our Lord. The lessons they teach are nothing but human commandments. You put aside the commandment of God to observe human traditions. Our Lord doesn't put down human traditions. Certain cultural practices may be very good, very laudable, to be promoted, to be fostered, but they have to be in their place. We can't put aside the commandments of God for the sake of human traditions. That would be a, a de-Christianization of society. In St. John, our Lord says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures unto life everlasting, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father, God himself, has set his seal. This is very sound advice. We might find ourselves working a lot for the food that perishes. 
But our faith invites us to look up, to look to the deeper realities, to look to the meaning and the purpose of our life. Pope St. John Paul II liked to say that in Christ, we find the meaning and the purpose of our life. We don't find it anywhere else. And so what does it matter if we lose everything in this world in order to gain life everlasting? That's the message of the saints and of the martyrs. And the one thing that the church is asking for in this period of history, which all the recent popes have talked about, is saints for this particular time. People who are heroic in living their faith and practicing the virtues. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, what can make it salty again? It's good for nothing and can only be thrown out to be trampled under people's feet. The modern professional arena, in almost all professions, provides challenges for our unity of life. Where we have to try and live by certain principles, and reflect the truth, and truly be what we believe in, and do a great apostolate in that way. In another country many years ago, I knew a, a medical student who was supposed to start to perform and help in abortions. But he knew he couldn't do that. It was against his Catholic faith, so he refused to cooperate. I think this was the first time in that particular university, in that particular hospital, that any medical student had taken that stand. But he was very clear. And the professor came to him and read the riot act, threatened to kick him out of the faculty, that he couldn't pass his exam, couldn't continue in his medical studies. If he didn't knuckle down and cooperate and go through the training like everybody else. But the fellow stood firm, says, I don't care. You can do all those things. I will not cooperate in doing this evil. And so they called the number two in the Department of Health in that country to come and talk to him. They got a bit scared because they saw that if, if all the Christians behave like this, they might paralyze the whole abortion industry. And so they got a bit concerned that they had to squash this from the very beginning. So they brought in the top brass to threaten him again with all sorts of things. Even if you go to another country and you qualify there, when you tried to come back to this country to practice, we will not allow you to practice in this country. But still he held firm. And then the authorities saw, well, boy, this guy is serious. And so they saw that if everybody takes on this, this attitude, well, we might have a revolution on our hands. So they backed down. They allowed the fellow to pursue his studies. He did his exam. He finished his course. He qualified. And he's now happily practicing medicine in that place. Thank you very much. But with that, he gave a great example of unity of life. Went through a difficult period. Didn't sleep too well for a couple of weeks and months. But won the, the battle of the day. In all areas related to a pro-life culture, there are all sorts of similar battles that have to be fought and won in pharmacies in checkouts, places in supermarkets, 
maybe lawyers handling divorce cases, businessmen who have to insist that all the business is done above the table and not under the table, properly accounting for the company money and, and credit accounts and other things. All these are great occasions to lead a unity of life, to give example to other people as to, what, as to what a Christian is and what that means. The truth will make you free. It means we live by the truth. And even if the whole world is going to collapse on top of us, will we tell the truth? Because the devil is the father of lies. We could try to make a resolution in this period of prayer to try never to tell a lie for the rest of our life. To give perfect witness to the truth. Because our Lord has said, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a, a bushel. They put it on the lampstand where it shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, your light must shine in people's sight so that they see your good works, that they may give praise to your Father in heaven. And so this is our vocation, to live out our faith in concrete situations. In 1984, there was a, a Catholic lady, nominally Catholic, who was running for the presidency of the United States. And on the issue of abortion, she said, well, I am against abortion privately, but when I go into the political arena, I can't impose my views on other people, and so I have to let it pass in those places. And Cardinal O'Connor of New York came out very quickly and pointed out that that was not acceptable. If you're a Catholic, well, then you're a Catholic 100% through and through, inside the political arena and outside the political arena. And in those situations, you're not imposing your views on other people. <clears throat> you're merely defending something that is right and good for all persons all over the planet. By living our unity of life, we don't impose anything on anybody. And so to practice this virtue, well, we can see sometimes that we where well, we need a lot of fortitude. We need a lot of clarity of ideas. And often, by living and practicing our faith in concrete situations, God may want to work wonderful miracles. In the case of that medical student, a girl came to him later who had no religion and said, well, I admire the stance that you took. And I'm not going, uh, to, going to participate in those things either. Just human rationale. There were many nominal Christians who probably went along with those criteria. But those two gave, gave great example to the rest of their class. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, with me and him, bears fruit in plenty. For cut off from me, you can do nothing. There was a girl in a class in Brazil and a teacher came in and started to lament the church's teaching on, on contraception and other areas. 
and started to give rather confused ideas. And this girl had quite a bit of formation and she realized, well, I have to try and defend the church in this moment to raise my voice. <clears throat> so she put up her hand and tried to clarify a few ideas very politely, briefly, but clearly said, well, I think the teaching of the church is because of this, this and this. And the teacher wasn't happy. And the lady teacher said, you come to my room after class. And so the girl was very worried. She said, oh my goodness, now I'm in big trouble. I should have kept my big mouth shut. And so she prepared herself for the worst and she went along to the teacher's room after class. And she remembered a phrase from scripture when our Lord said, do not be worried when you're brought before governors and kings on my account. Do not worry what you're about to say because I will place on your lips what needs to be said. And so she began to give out to God saying, you said that you would place on our lips what needs to be said in these situations. And now look at the mess I'm in. I should have kept my big mouth shut. So she wasn't very happy with God, but she went along and she knocked on the door of the teacher's room and went in and the teacher said, where did you learn those things that you were saying in the class? And very apologetically, the girl said, well, you see, I go to this center downtown where they give a lot of Christian formation. <clears throat> and I think I must have picked up some of these ideas there. She tried to say it as apologetically and as low key as she could to try and save her bacon. But the teacher said, well, keep going to that place. But now the girl was a bit confused. Keep going to that place. But you were saying the opposite there in class. And the teacher said, because when I was your age, I used to go to that place. They were trying to get me to change my life but I didn't have the courage or the generosity to do so. And so ever since then, I've spent half my life saying stupid things and the other half trying to justify what I was saying. So keep going to that place. And so the girl came out of the teacher's room, lifting up her eyes to heaven and saying, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And so we stick our neck out sometimes with our unity of life. Think how many times in my life have I stuck my neck out for Christ? Have I been laughed at or derided or insulted? How many times has my neck been chopped off? Probably not too many. So we may have a little more way to go in living our unity of life. Listen, Israel, we're told in Deuteronomy, Yahweh our God is the one, the only Yahweh. You must love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let the words I enjoin on you today stay in your heart. You shall tell them to your children and keep on telling them when you're sitting at home, when you're out and about, when you're lying down or when you're standing up. You must fasten them on your hands as a sign and on your forehead as a headband. You must write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Interesting to see how Old Testament and Noah <clears throat> very strong in this particular area. And we may find ourselves in all sorts of ordinary situations but our Lord wants us to stick our neck out a little bit. A friend of mine told me he'd been invited to a sort of a stag dinner by some fellow who was rather successful in business, invited six or eight friends, they had a marvellous meal, and then they sat down to watch the movie. 
But as soon as the movie started, this fellow realized, well, this is not a very savory movie. And he knew he had to do something. So he stood up and said to the host, look, it's been a marvelous evening, a marvelous meal. I've had a great time, but thank you very much. This is not my type of entertainment. And he bid good night to everybody and he left. Knowing that in a sense, he was spoiling the whole party. Probably when he left, he would be the talking point for many nights to come. But he didn't mind that because he knew he had to be faithful to his Christian vocation. So there are certain situations when we have to say no. When we have to clash a little bit with our environment. Christians are always people who have clashed with their environment. If we're creating a little bit of a stir around us because of the way we live our faith, we're probably God is very happy. Because Christians have come to shake the bushes a little bit. To remind people of what life is all about. And so as in Matthew, speaking of the Pharisees, our Lord said, You must therefore do and observe what they tell you, but do not be guided by what they do, since they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders, but will they lift a finger to move them? Not they. Everything they do is done to attract attention, like wearing broader headbands and longer tassels, like wanting to take the place of honour at banquets and the front seats in the synagogues, being greeted respectively in the market squares and having people call them rabbi. In another place he says, for I tell you, if your uprightness does not surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. A modern day Pharisee might comment a lot on the Sunday homily, or might have a lot to say about the external ceremonies in the parish, but might not be focusing on the goal of holiness and apostolate, which is the goal of our Christian formation, Christian vocation, or of seeking formation to help us to be a better instrument in the parish, to build things up, to evangelize the community, to lift up the spiritual temperature. No one can be the slave of two masters, said our Lord. He will either hate the first and love the second, or be attached to the first and despise the second. You cannot be the slave both of God and of money. And so our Lord points out in very concrete ways where the devil may have a hold on us in this particular way. Unity of life can be defined as the harmonious compenetration between the religious, doctrinal, ascetical, spiritual, professional, family, and social aspects of our lives. It's achieved by harmoniously blending, though at times it may be hard, our work with the demands of formation and family life, and above all with piety, with a loving fulfillment of the norms of our plan of life. And when we practice this virtue, well then our Lord will grow in us and us in him,
in age and wisdom and grace before God and men. It means that we don't have any walls between our personal convictions and what we do in public. We're transparent, authentic. It's a wonderful thing to meet transparent, authentic, simple people. Their word is their bond. You know immediately what their values are all about, what they stand for. They're not one thing today and another thing tomorrow. They're changing their colors in all sorts of situations. There's unity between the ascetic and the apostolic part of their lives. Our Lord said to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. And so our Lord simplifies everything. Says that everything must blend into a contemplation. Our apostolate, our prayer, our work. Blends into a unity that's called contemplation. It's a unity between the human and the supernatural. Christ was perfect God and perfect man. So we don't have compartmentalized sections of our life. Different hats that we put on here and there. We're open to life in our marriage. Because we live for faith and generosity. We let God be God in our marriage. Put our faith into practice in concrete ways. There's no greater way to build up faith in our children, in our families, in our environment than that. Real virtue put into practice. And so unity of life makes life a lot better for everybody around us. Because we know where we're going. And we know why we're going there. We're focused on the goal. And the key to all of this is our interior life. The interior life of Ordinary Christians who are continually in the street, in the fresh air, and who at the same time are continually attentive to our Lord in the street, in our work, in family life, in sport. All honourable work can be prayer, and all work which is prayer is apostolate. In this way, the soul strengthens itself in a simple and strong unity of life that finds expression in all sorts of ways. Edith Stein was a Jewess in the 1930s. She was one of the most prominent women philosophers in Germany. She went all over Europe lecturing against National Socialism of the Nazis. She was public enemy number one. And she said all the time in her life she was looking for truth. One day she wandered into a Catholic church out of curiosity. And while she was there, a lady came in with her shopping basket coming from the marketplace, knelt down to say a prayer. This had an enormous influence on Edith Stein because she saw the real faith of this lady put into practice, making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. Suddenly the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Eucharist came alive to the example of faith of this woman. 
Well, eventually, Edith Stein converted. She became a Carmelite nun. She had to flee Germany. Her sister also became a Carmelite nun. But they were found in Holland by the Nazis. They were captured. They were sent to Auschwitz. And she died a martyr's death. Saint John Paul II proclaimed her as one of the patronesses of Europe. And her feast day is this week, Saint Teresa Benedict of the Cross. One of the patrons of Europe, a Jewess, who attributes part of her conversion to the unity of life lived by a housewife, just going about her daily duties. And so one of the saints says, do not forget that the unity of life which our Christian vocation asks for, demands a great spirit of sacrifice. Very often, unity of life is sacrifice, mortification. We're on a divine path in which we have to follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ, carrying our own cross. And God hopes that we'll carry it generously. Our life of prayer and penance and the consideration of our divine filiation will transform us into profoundly pious Christians, like small children before God. We must reject all thoughts which separate us from him. Thus Christ in your mind, Christ on your lips, Christ in your heart, Christ in your works. In your whole life, your heart, works, intelligence and words, full of God. Thanks to these periods of meditation, to those vocal prayers, aspirations, we will know how to convert our day with naturalness into a continual praise of God. We will always be in his presence, as people in love continually direct their thoughts towards the person they love. And all our actions, even the smallest ones, will be filled with spiritual efficacy. When we look at Our Lady, she said the words, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, at the Annunciation. Be it done unto me according to your word. But they weren't just words, they were a program for the whole of her life. She lived them in all situations, in Nazareth, in Bethlehem, in Egypt, and finally at the foot of the cross. We could ask Our Lady that we too might learn how to respond to the calls of God, in the same way that she did, living our faith to the full in all circumstances. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.